my goodness, we've got guests. You know what that means. It's another Masterclass episode on Studio Class. Hi, Divas. Welcome to another Masterclass episode on Studio Class. I am so excited that you're here and so thrilled to share with you the wisdom of my friend, Kala Maxim. Before we get started, I'm just going to tell you a little bit about her. So, German-born soprano Kala Maxim has performed on opera stages and in concert venues across the United States and abroad. For much of her operatic career, Kala performed as a mezzo-soprano. More recently, she's performed the soprano solo in Beethoven's Ninth Symphony with the Spokane Symphony, as well as with Long Beach Symphony. She was also a feature soloist with Pacific Chorale and at Artshare LA. Dedicated to using her voice for good, Kala has organized and performed numerous recitals to benefit causes such as Doctors Without Borders, the Chilean Earthquake Relief, Together We Can Tanzania, the ACLU of Southern California, Field Team 6, and the Icla da Silva Foundation, among others. Prior to her life as a professional singer, Kala worked as a senior program analyst for the Criminal Division of the United States Department of Justice and as a customer service manager for Smartling, a technology company in the translation and localization space. In this episode, you'll also hear us talk quite a bit about her company Five Senses Tastings, as you can already tell from her bio, Kala is just an amazing, all-around, entrepreneurial, creative spirit, and I am so thrilled that she is here sharing her thoughts with us in this masterclass. So buckle up. Here we go. Wonderful. All right. Kala, thank you so much for coming on the Studio Class podcast and doing this masterclass episode with us. I am so thrilled to invite you on and to share your knowledge and all of your amazing experiences, maybe not all of them, we don't have that much time, but like, to share your experiences with the listeners. So I was wondering if you would kick us off by telling us a little bit about you. Sure. Well, thank you so much for having me. Um, we've known each other uh, in life and online for 12 years now, I think. Oh my gosh, um, wow. <laughs> loved watching your journey too. It's so, it's so impressive how you've um, managed to just take such a hold in this contemporary music scene. And I'm, I'm just, I'm so thrilled to see that. Thank you. Um, appreciate you remembering me and having me on. Um, so let's see, I live in Los Angeles now. When we met, I was in the, you know, in the whole like, I'm trying to be a classical opera singer, classical and opera singer, young artist programs thing. And I did that for a while. And, um, you know, I had a couple successes. I was able to tour in Europe, which was really amazing. And then I came back to the States and the economy tanked and my voice changed. And that was all just a wake up call, sort of like, hey, um, knock, knock, like, are you, you don't have a place here in opera right now. Your voice, you haven't figured out where your voice is. It just didn't, it didn't really jive. I was pushing at it for a couple more years. And um, I started the Opera Insider, which you might remember, which was a, an online community for those in front of and behind the curtain. So life from both sides of the curtain. And um, we, my mom and I had that, we did that for a while. And then I started working at a tech company because I needed a job. Yeah. And I, met a guy, I met a guy and he gave me a job. And that was a VC backed firm that was in series B at the time. Um, yeah. And I went with them through series D, which was four and a half years. Wow. During which I founded Five Senses Tastings, which is the company I now own. And I was doing that in the morning in the elevator bank at lunch at night. Yeah. <laughs> And then in 2016, I quit my job and moved to LA in the same week and have been doing that full time ever since. Wow. Wow. Call it that I love that I love that you were talking about 
about joining the tech company. When you were making that, I have just had this quick question about like when you were making that choice, you said that you, you know, you met somebody and did, was that through talking to them that you felt like you were well aligned for that position? Did it feel like you knew that you were looking for a position like the one that you found in the tech company? I'm, I'm just so curious because I know that a lot of us are balancing different facets of professional lives. And so that's one of those ways in which we're like, well, I, I'm this opera singer. I've also built this, I built this entire platform with my mom. And now I'm also like doing this thing. I'm just curious about that. Yeah. I went to, I think it was the New York times small business luncheon or something like that. (laughs) And I knew nobody. And I sat next down, down next to this guy named Jack and Jack was like, I run this tech company doing translation and localization. I was like, what is localization? I've never heard that word, but I'm a certified translator. That sounds cool. Yeah. It was. And I was like, I want to work for you. And he's like, I don't have a job for you. And I was like, well, you're gonna, yeah. I was like, that's okay. I'm not looking right now, which I don't remember if I was. And then if like maybe eight months later, I was like, I've been following you guys and I'm, you're going to hire me. Yeah. Like, be here. Yeah. And he did. He hired me as an office assistant, office manager. He's like, I know you, this is not what you want, Yeah. but I'm going to do this for six months. And then I'll let you run your own team. Wow. If you can do these things. And I did yeah. them. I ran my, I built and ran a team and, you know, made my way up the, you know, tech ladder. Um, I was wondering, I, I love what you were saying about approaching somebody. I think this is so often how it's how it's done, where it's like we meet people, we realize, oh, well, that's that's a place that I want to be. I want to be working on that thing, and then mm-hmm. and then just letting people know that that's what you're interested in puts you kind of in their frame of reference too, where they can say, okay, well, this is that you can is do you want to take this job for six months? Like, do you want to do this? And then. And then make those choices. It it doesn't always look like the perfect thing on paper, but you're like, well, I want to be there, and I think this is the right path. And I'm I'm wondering, you know, I'm sure that those experiences probably formed a lot of things. I knew that you had from Opera Insider, you had a lot of running your own business that probably adding experiences from from the from the tech company helped with. Five senses tasting. I'm imagining like all of yeah, that. I think you know people always ask you like you know what have you taken from this experience? I mean, you'd have to write it down as you were having it, right? Like it's yeah. just accumulated life and professional experience. It's really hard to say that. Yeah. Um, what I gained. I mean, I certainly learned how to form partnerships uh, in the Opera Insider, which is something that I took to Five Senses. Yeah. Um, but I grew up away from home, so like I've always been one to just really like. And I'm alone, so can I be a part of it? And just kind of like inserting myself into stuff is not really a problem for me. It's much more now, like I got used to not having to do that, and I'm not really into networking anymore. But I still be like, "Hi, can I just join your circle?" Yeah. (laughs) That for you all. And I think that people get so nervous about it when if you just kind of steal yourself and go can I be in your circle? Can I, can I join you? Like, Hey, I'd like to do this now. Then people are like, Oh, oh sure. Okay. Come on in. <laughs> they can't be like, no, you can't be here because then they're mean and you can't be mean. So, yeah. And then if you realize you don't have any mojo with these guys, you leave. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I, I ask everybody that comes on the podcast, you know, at the beginning of our episodes, 
to tell me about an intention that you're keeping for yourself. And I know, you know, that you're kind of at a, at a chapter change and things like that in life, but also just generally, what's an intention that you're keeping for yourself at the moment? I would say the honest answer is that the words intention, goal, and vision are challenging for me. Yeah. They don't resonate in a massive way. Yeah. I don't set intentions at the beginning of my Pilates practice, like the teacher tells me. <laughs> I don't have a list of goals. That's not how I work. I think for now, at the, the place in my life, my intention is to keep calm while I navigate this storm that's coming. Um, yeah. For those who own a business, and I'm going to be, um, I'll say sunsetting just because I'm not going to be shutting it down, but I'm going to be sunsetting it and doing a major, like a full career change. Um, and I don't know what that is right now. So for me, that's my intention is to remain as calm and collected and a non-manic as I can through that. And that's through things that I do, like exercise and being outside and all that stuff. But um, that is the, that's the big one, I think. Yeah, I think that's so great. I'm, I, I love that you mentioned a couple of the ways that you do that for yourself, because I was thinking about that. And in, in our music lives, I think we also have a lot of uncertainty. I would say that I don't think anybody's come out of the last couple of years, the last few years, not feeling uncertain about things. And I would just love to hear if you have just a couple of those things that you've, you've really hit on for yourself of how you stay, how you do that, how you stay calm, especially when you know that there's information coming in that might make you feel uncertain, like uncomfortable. You're, you're looking forward and you're like, yep, I'm, I'm going to, be making these changes or I'm going to try something, but I'm kind of scared about it right now. I think I would say that we are all way more resilient than we think we are, especially after the last few years. And um, I have gotten to so many parts of my business, so many moments in my business in the last couple of years where I've gone, I literally have no idea how to do this, but no idea. Yeah. Uh, I guess we'll start here maybe or there or ask that person. So I would say, you know, embrace the journey over the destination mm -hmm. if mm -hmm. you possibly can. Um, the destination that you have in mind will maybe 50% of the time be where you end up. Yeah. Right. Maybe <laughs> a log track, you get this log job on whatever, like, but if you're an artist, your path is not going to be linear. Like almost surely it's not going to be linear. And so I think just going like, yeah, shoot, like, I don't know right now, but I'm going to figure it out. And I can't say that's going to work all the time, but I was just having a conversation with a colleague of mine in a similar business. And she goes, you know, I didn't realize how resilient I am. I just, and I felt, I feel the same way. Yeah. It's, it's in us and we just have to find it. Yes, absolutely. I, I think that's so true. I'm wondering with, uh, with what you were saying, if there's anything in your business or in your life that you love to teach, right? So this can be lots of different things, but this is, you've had all of these awesome experiences in which you've like learned a ton. And I think that makes you such a fascinating, well, person that I think so many of us are kind of like when we do a lot of left brain, right brain stuff together, yeah. that you've learned, you've taken in all of these things, but is there anything that you love to kind of just go over with people and, and help them learn from the beginning? Um, 
I have, a, I guess, a couple different answers. One is yes. I mean, my business is about music and wine pairings. And so I love to bust myths about wine and about music. So yeah. for you out there, if you think you don't like Riesling, Riesling is also dry and dry Riesling is awesome. Yeah. So I love <laughs> for people. I love going, you think you don't like classical music, but you know this car commercial, right? And you like it. Like that's classical music. Or you think opera's boring. How about this? Yeah. And they go, oh my God, like you don't sing with a mic and you sing and all that's so cool. It's the power of the human voice. I mean, I cannot tell you how many times, you know, people don't know what they're about to see. And then I open my mouth and they're like, I, right. Yeah. So like opening people up to the things they didn't know they could love. I love doing that. And that's what's guided my business. Yeah. I would say there's a, there's a lot of talk in like female entrepreneurship and, and entrepreneurship in general, general and life in general now about values. Mm-hmm. And I think that's another word like vision and intention and meditation and mindfulness that's gotten muddy. Mm-hmm. I appreciate the idea of values. We, we guide our business with the ideas of, you know, diversity and freedom and uh, abundance and all that. What is that? That is completely intangible. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. It's to have those you need to have your hard values that you're not giving up on for me and my business it's one value mm. which the art is worth paying for and I pay my artists and you pay me yes hard value that I will not ever waver on yes everything else is up for discussion pretty much other than like being gross and mean yeah. and not, <laughs> right gross and mean. But, I, yes. <laughs> but I think that we've spent a lot of time being in this like ethereal like woo woo land which is great I have no problem with that but in business you have to have hard things that you're not negotiable on yeah and for me part of that is money and that's why I'm leaving the business partly because I'm not negotiating on what I on the value that I place on my business and currently that value is not translating yeah yeah like where do I go from there right and so I think that you come to a point sometimes in your life when you've assessed your value or the value of the product or service you give and the market or the world doesn't see that you can keep banging your head against that world and it's not going to change yeah so sometimes you have to listen you have to go okay my values aren't going to change but my approach is going to change oh I love this conversation so 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 much (laughs) also I think this is a conversation that is hard for artists to have with themselves about being devoted to their art, but also being in the marketplace in certain ways, right? And I think anybody that comes to me knows that I'm like, well, yeah, make your art. That's fine. But if you also want to do this in the marketplace, then these are, this is, this is the kind of conversation you need to have with yourself. And I very much value your thoughts on this and your insight on this because you are, you have been and have run multiple businesses at this point in which you do have to be honest about what is the bottom line? Is this making is this making us sustainable in this way? And I don't know if we always look at that as individual artists in the same way and say, is my business being sustainable? Is my business? And I think I so that's I love hearing you say that also from that context of of getting very clear on what it is that what is your one value that you're not willing to compromise on. I'm wondering if you could talk about how you came to the isolation of that, because obviously you felt that way from the beginning. I mean, you've, you've felt that way coming through school and all, all of your professional experience, but there is probably a moment where you crystallized that into, this is something that I tell other people when we meet. (laughs) 
Um, yeah, I mean, it's because I'm a performer. Yeah. And because I just the other day had to write to someone, a, a church a guy who hires me for church gigs that I, I don't have a church gig anymore. I paid my dues, but I sub <laughs> in when I want to. Yeah. And I said, you know what? I've been singing with you for six years and the pay hasn't changed. So and after I'll do the next one that I promised. And after that, you need to pay me X number of dollars per appearance. Thanks. Kala. Yeah. <laughs> right? And that's what we need to do. And I think that there's, um, it was really interesting because I was actually recently hired by an event production company to go sing at a winery. Yeah. And in a way that I, you know, was similar to what I do with people. And it was really interesting to see that from that side. Like I sing on some of my events, but I haven't been hired for things like that. And to see it from that perspective and see like, I was paid quite nicely for that. And how much do I pay my artists? I certainly can't pay them that. It was like a fancy pants thing. Yeah. You know, when people you know, don't want to pay for musicians, live musicians or something. Oh, no, I don't want to. I don't want to. Well, you know what? Music and art and whatever have been in our lives forever. And we cannot exist without culture and beauty in the world. It's not, I say beauty is not a luxury. Art is not a luxury. Culture is not a luxury. It's a, it's a requirement for our well-being. Yes. Just like our physical checkups. I call it sensory wellness. We talk about physical wellness. We go to the doctor. We go to the gym. We go on hikes. We talk about our mental health. We go see therapists or we go on hikes or we go somewhere. <laughs> we never talk about, you know, our sensory health and things like that. Yeah. Um, I think I got off topic a bit, but no, I uh, that. but how I isolated it was being the person who had to fight for being paid a fair wage and being accepted as the expert. And like, if you're telling me to go sing opera acapella, you don't know what you're talking about. That doesn't work. <laughs> don't tell me you want that. You will not, I won't do it. Yeah. I will make you look bad. <laughs> I know that you don't know what opera is, but I do. Yeah. And so please listen to me because I know what it is and I know what its value is. Yeah. Well, and I think you bring up a good point about being a subject matter expert, right? Is, is, is a, inhabiting that role with people that are hiring you or trying to contract you for something, you are the person who is the subject matter expert on what you do. And so when people are coming to you for something, then I, I love your, your ability to cut through any of that other noise that you might've interpreted at some point and just be like, this is the deal. This is what's up. This is what's going to make you look good. This is what you actually really want here. And being able to communicate that with them in a way that they understand. So they're like, actually, you're right. Yeah, I do want that. I do want to pay you for that experience. That's what I'm trying to get here. So I, yeah. I really love and, that. And that's, that's, it's very difficult to do that sometimes, even as a business owner, because, you know, I have a lot of clients who come to me and they're like, oh, well, I'd like a wine tasting, but I don't want any music. I'm like, well, then why, why are you at, at my company? Because that's what <laughs> I do. But sure. I mean, no skin off my back. Like I can do that for you. It's money in the bank. And yeah. so I would not say like you can have like musicians and not pay them, but I'll compromise on that part of my business because you know what? I got to run the thing. Yep. Yep. <laughs> well, and I don't, th yeah, you're right. Because you know that that's a, po a portion of your offering rather than the full offering. Not paying musicians is not an offering that you're, that you're making. You're like, oh no, no, that's not on the menu whatsoever. <laughs> like that doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> Well, also, I'm asking, I'm at, I asked this question to everybody about what's a micro action that you feel like has served you really well in your business. And I think we've talked about this 
like very like long ago in the past, but a micro action is really like, what is the smallest unit of a thing? Not the whole, I always give the same example, write the grant is not a micro action because there's so many parts to it, right? There's lots of things, but breaking it down into its smallest unit is the micro action, right? If I do finish the budget or something like that, that's a micro action. So I bring this up also because I, I don't want this to necessarily be your micro action, but I have to say that I've always loved your emails from Five Senses Tasting. And, like, and I feel like that's a perfect example sometimes of what it is to just like have a micro action, which is communicate with your, with your audience, communicate with your community, with your, with your clients, with your, you know, business stakeholders, et cetera, in a way that exemplifies your brand. And I think you do that so well. So I feel like that's one of the reasons why I want to ask you this question, but I'm sure that you have your own version of a micro action that you think has been important to your career. It's really funny that you isolate the emails because I do not like writing them. <gasps> but you do it so well. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Well, now I actually have a, a person who works for me who helps me with that. Yes. <laughs> like you're too wordy. Stop talking. You're too many words. Um, oh my goodness. I remember this question. I, I remember filling it out on your, on your, on your intake form being like, I don't know. <laughs> Um, I don't know that I have one answer for that. I would say it definitely changes depending on what thing I'm doing. Totally. And for me, like, it's actually a body thing, which is moving it. It's yeah. super simple. Like, I don't do good work unless I move my body in the morning. Yeah. Like, I've been sick the last week and I haven't been able to do much. Yeah. And I feel it. Like, I, I'm not as productive. And so... You can, you know, I'm not really a project breakdown person. I've tried Trello. I've tried Asana. I've tried all the project management tools. I spend more time on there than doing the projects. You're right, you're right. <laughs> so I'm not that kind of person, but I do, I'm a list maker. And I do think that there's, you know, you can kind of see the whole like geography or ecosystem of your day or sometimes of your month if you, you do that. So I think I don't have one, honestly, but I would say like a habit, maybe a micro habit is exercise and list making. I think those are both really great. <laughs> I, I like both of those as micro actions. <laughs> as someone who very much vibes with list making, I just think that list making can be a very cathartic experience because you get it all out and you just like, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, I see. I see. And I, what you said about seeing the geography of your day, your month, maybe a quarter or something like that is so true. It's so, if you kind of review, keep your list somewhere and kind of review things that you've done over time, you start to really see, oh, that's where I spend my time. That's what I've been doing. That's, that's really what's taken up my brain space. I think that's so interesting. Well, I use a, a time tracker too, actually. Which one? Um, I use Toggle. That's what I use too. I think it's so helpful, don't you? I do actually. And it's more about like, just reminding me that I'm working. Like it just reminds me and because it'll pop up when I'm like scrolling on Facebook or doing some, when I'm like, Oh, wasted time, personal, you know, I mean, like logins <laughs> or like breakfast, you know? So it, it helps. Well, and I'm not entirely sure 
your infrastructure of your business where do you work, you know, together with with anybody on your team or do you normally work kind of individually in your in your home or your office where something like that can be really helpful, especially when we're in our spaces all, like all day, yeah. every day, wearing lots of different hats. When you time track, I think maybe you could talk a little bit more about how that's been useful to you or when you started doing that. Uh, probably a coach told me to do it and I did it and it was a good idea. Um, I do have someone, I hired somebody in February who has been completely indispensable to me since the moment she started. Um, I, her title, I think is director of management and engagement and growth or something like that. Um, it just means she's awesome and does is my second brain. Um, and so she only works three days a week. So they're def- and, and I, and she's on the East coast. So I would say, you know, 80% of and 90% of my time is my time and it's, it's alone. And I live by my calendar. I put everything on one calendar. I know people have like personal and business. I have to put them all on one because it needs to block off. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, I, I track everything I do personal as well as business. And then I look at the end of the week, like your personal is always going to be more because yeah. it's, like that's more, it's more time than you work usually, or maybe it is for me. Yeah. But uh, I, I really like it. I think it's super helpful. I'm wondering if you would also share with us a little bit about kind of the life cycle of running a business. And I, I also consider your, your time singing professionally as or when that was a larger part of what you were doing as its own business so like multiple kind of stages of this would you tell us a little bit about what you feel is the life cycle like getting excited about something where you're starting what it's like running and managing the business and then also when you are making that choice I think that one that I'm particularly interested in is when you start to see that there might be something next kind of quote unquote what it there's a next thing on the horizon and just sharing what that feels like for you hey there divas real quick thing before we get back to the rest of this episode do you love studio class you can support it now by joining the sybaritic camarada on patreon it's just at patreon.com slash mezzoenen m-e-z-z-o-i-h-n-e-n For $10 a month, you can join the listening circle where you get access to bonus episodes, you can make listener requests, and for $20 a month, you can become a Masterclass Scholar. Do you ever wish you could ask our Masterclass episode guests a question? Here's your chance. As a Masterclass Scholar, you're invited to the recording of the Masterclass episodes, and you get to ask your questions during an exclusive Q&A after the taping. So come on over, check it out, patreon.com slash mezzoenen. And now we're back to the episode. I think it took me a long time to internalize the fact that change did not equal failure. Mm. And, um, and that's a recurring theme, especially among entrepreneurs and I'm sure artists. Um, but I remember, and I, I still feel this way sometimes, I didn't work hard enough in my opera career. I could have made it. Mm. I think I could have made it. Yeah. But I didn't work hard enough. And then I think, is that actually the life I want now? No, it's not. Um, so the life cycle for me is I have kind of a two to four year cycle. So the fact that I've had this business for 10 is completely bonkers. (laughs) Um, 
And yeah, so the first couple of years you think you're invincible and you think you have the best idea known to mankind. Um, and you spend every waking hour that you don't have to be somewhere else working on your business and networking and telling everyone how great it is and making business cards before you have a business plan. And, <laughs> and then, so real. <laughs> um, and then P.S. the first person you should ever hire is a bookkeeper. I did not do that. Um, hire a bookkeeper. Yes. P.S. And then... Um, you know, it depends how long your life cycle is, but I think you get into like this sort of just like you're coasting. You're like, okay, this is how it is. Like, regardless of financial stuff, like I've got my ideas set. I've had some clients, like I understand the process of getting new clients and doing whatever it is I do and then offboarding those clients and, and what is my work-life balance and all that. Um, and then, you know, there's the life cycle now, which is like, Ooh, holy COVID or holy economic crash or holy this, right? You can't yeah. prepare for Maybe you can. And then I think knowing when it's time to stop, um, I think it's a feeling and it's a knowing and it's it's a it's a resignation, but not in a bad way. It's mm -hmm. just an understanding that what you have and what is needed are not the same thing in them anymore. Mm. And that doesn't mean that what you have is bad or in any way of lesser value than it was when it was needed. Yeah. Wanted. Yeah. Um but it is not needed or wanted right now, at least by not, not by the people you're able to reach. Mm. And I, I think it's, it's two different things, right? Like the value of my business still exists in my heart and in my mind and the value that other people by, like by definition, my company depends on other people assigning it that same value is not the same. Yeah. And I can't make that happen. I, mean, I could, maybe I could. Yeah. I'm out of ideas of how to do that and I'm out of energy. I'm exhausted of making every single decision. Yeah. Yep. And so I started just like, my brain is just, it's done. It's done. I don't care that much anymore. And that's when you go, oh, when you start to go, I don't, I don't know if I care anymore. Yes. Yes. I think I, I see so much of, of our lives as performers and or composers in that life cycle too, where it's, and have worked with lots where they feel like they're at that point where they, there isn't something on the other side feeling like, oh, I have to do that. Or I'm so excited about doing this thing or exactly what you said. I can't, I'm, for some reason, I can't make other people ascribe the same value to it that I'm, that I'm sharing. And that doesn't mean that it's a failure in any way, or that you don't understand the business or you don't understand what you're doing, but it does mean that it's just not that's not aligning at the moment. And I think that's such a hard, a hard recognition to have. And I think so many of the singers that I've known that have, that have left, left the business. I'm not even sure if I want to call it like that as the phrase, but they they, they stopped pursuing singing as a professional path. And I think a lot of them really resonate with that feeling of there isn't a thing here for me anymore, or at least not with the people that I have access to. And I think the way that you phrased that is, is really helpful to hear when we're kind of talking about this and the kinds of conversations that I also really like to have on this podcast to talk about what does that feel like? You're not alone if you've ever gone through that. You're not, you're not the only person who's <laughs> ever experienced that feeling and wanting to pivot or whatever, set it down for a minute, come back, you know, that kind of stuff. I'm wondering, do you have more thoughts about that feeling of 
setting it down or or maybe the similarities similarities or differences with how it felt with singing versus I mean I want to be very clear that you still sing through things like you don't so I you you are still a musician you still sing all the time and like it the way that you're pursuing it professionally is different than a, a, another part of your life that yeah I mean I think I, I realized that I got to a part in my career in music where I I realized that I wasn't breaking through a certain level mm-hmm. and I wasn't willing to put in the work to get to that next level. Like what it required of me was not something I wanted to do in my, in my late twenties, mm-hmm. early thirties. Um, and it was like a, mostly a conscious decision and somewhat of a, Maybe I maybe I didn't try hard enough. Maybe I'm just bowing out. I don't know. I've re- I've wondered about that. I don't have an answer to that. Um, but this to me, I feel like I tried to do this in the summer, or I, I started to think about this in the summer, and I was looking at jobs, redoing my resume, all this stuff, yeah. and it felt gross. It felt awful. It felt terrible, and I didn't know why because I felt like it was like absolutely necessary. But then I like I guess business ticked up just enough to kind of trick me into thinking that maybe I still had something to do and I did the switch to sensory wellness and all this stuff. And then I was in New York and for a week and I walked 60 miles in 70 days. Cool. And yeah. It just got walked out of me, which was like, you're done. Yeah. You're done. And it was calmer. It was calmer and like just inevitable, but not in like a sad way exactly I mean I know I'll cry about it and yeah yeah. it doesn't feel I had a great year my best year ever last year and I I did that you know I cleared a really good amount of revenue um I mean the IRS took it all but you know I did um and I did that and I showed myself I could do it and I honestly if you want you didn't ask about this but a lot of people will say like what's your definition of success I was on this thing today where it's like define what worth you know how you measure your worth Frankly, oh, I'm sick of it. Like, <laughs> these things, like they're intangible things. You cannot define them for. I cannot define them for myself. But um, I don't know where I was going with this. I was on my soapbox about undefinable definables. No, um, I lo- I love this though. <laughs> it's so important. So, but I think we we shy away from saying that we're allowed to want financial success and like success can be financial. We're not, we're told that's not good. We should have these ethereal values that that's what our success should be. BS. I call BS on that. I had a great year last year. I raked it in. I loved it. Yep. Yep. Amen. Amen. And and did things, but honestly, I loved that part of it. Yes. Yes. Well, and I think that, I mean, there's a certain, there's also a certain, like, uh, I don't know, pleasure that I take in your business, which is also that you're raking it in and it has to do, like, it's, it's in the arts. Like there's so much of what we do. I wonder if this was a, a, a discussion that you ever had at the beginning of Five Senses Tasting if, to, to be for-profit or non-profit, right? Because I think that so much of the arts is, is like, well, I'm going to start a 501c3 and then, you know, and, and people don't make money in the arts. And so there's a part of my heart that like just really glows when you're like, and I made bank last year. <laughs> That was a huge discussion. People asked yeah. me all the time and I was like, no, I am proudly for profit and I am never going to beg for money. Yeah. I'm not good. And that's part of what I didn't, I mean, I grew up in Europe where the arts are subsidized. 
Yeah. And, you know, I really disliked that part. I felt very uncomfortable about that part of like, please come sing at some donor dinners because we really need money. I mean, it's not, I understand that like the government doesn't give you bleep. So you have to, right. Yeah. But I can do it differently as a private business. Owner. I don't have to do it that way. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't, for, there was no nonprofit part of what I was doing. Right. It was culture and beauty and what I do is, is worth paying actual money for. And yeah. Exactly. Well, and I think what's what I really love about when we talk about it from that angle is also being very clear about, well, this is this is these are my products and services and they're for profit. Like this is what I'm doing. You have to be very clear about that. And I think sometimes when we remove when we remove that question of like how am I going to get paid for this, then people don't get very clear about what they do either. And or why people would invest in that, why people would value that with cash or other types of value. And so that's, I think that's an important lesson that I take away from, from that is also, if you, when you're pursuing it that way, you have to be very clear. You have to be very clear about what the value is to your clients and what they're going to get out of it. And that means that you spend that time really digging in and being like, why do people care enough to put money behind this? Well, and there is always a a bridge to overcome when you're talking about something art related because it is an intangible um, uh, benefit to life, right? You can't tell somebody that you're going to go to this concert and you're going to feel 27% better. Yeah. (laughs) And you should go. And it's worth $92, but not $95. You you cannot quantify the value of beauty. Mm -hmm. So that is what art always gets into that's art's inherent obstacle is that you cannot quantify it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I was, would you, I realized that I didn't ask you this very early in our conversation, but if you would talk a little bit about the format of how five senses tasting works and, you know, we don't have to belabor that, but I do think it's so interesting for people that haven't gotten to interact with it about what it is and what, what you do. Sure. So uh, it started out as it, it came from the idea that I, I was born in Europe and I was grow, grew up in the sensory ecosystem, right, of, you know, gray skies and, you know, whatever Northern Europe is like, and that other people didn't. They had different ecosystems that they grew up in. And so I was kind of fascinated by this idea of like breaking out of this ecosystem and how would you do that? You would taste, I'm making air quotes, you would taste lots of different things. And I love the idea of a flight of wine. I thought it was really whimsical and interesting. And I, I wondered if you could do that with music. This was when like Opera on Tap came and um, whichever was the one in, in Brooklyn within Lofts, that one, Loft, I yeah. don't know what they're called, <laughs> awesome. And I was like, that's not what I want to do. I don't want to make opera accessible by putting it in bars. That's not what I want to mm-hmm. do. What I want to do is share stories with people through the beauty of 500 years of music. Well, so kind of softening the blow with wine and cheese and chocolate. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And so I call them musical wine tastings and they are storytelling experiences where music, wine, food, and sweet treats are in service of the story. This could be a personal story, like a 50th birthday or an anniversary. It could be a product launch. It could be, uh, you know, an Adobe executive summit. It could be Louis Vuitton. It could be Google, right? Yep. I've worked with all these clients in different ways but they all of them were about bringing their story to their customers or their employees in some way yeah and so that's what I do I love that I think it I I think so much about as we're figuring out 
who we want to be as artists too. I think taking in stories like that or how you created your business, what you're trying to deliver to your clients helps us also think broadly about what we can do as artists and who we can be in the world. And that's just another reason that I wanted to invite you on the podcast is to talk about, well, yeah, I'm a musician in a lot of ways. And one of the ways that I like to be a musician is in this way where I'm sensory wellness and matching, like bringing people's stories to life. And in this really, uh, this, this really multifaceted way, I think Mm -hmm. is so, so helpful. So I'm hoping that listeners will also kind of take that. And if they've been sitting with an idea where they're like, maybe I could do this with my music or do this with my art and just run with it and give it a, you know, try. I think that's another aspect. I wonder if you, if you are the kind of entrepreneur where you would say something like that to someone, do you just say, go give it a whirl? Or are you kind of like business plan it out first? (laughs) I never wrote a business plan for my business. (laughs) Actually, that's not true. I wrote one probably maybe two years after and I never looked at it again. Yeah. Um, I definitely think there's the, like, there's no right time to have a baby. There's no right time to start a business. Like, Mm -hmm. I believe that. Um, I do think that you should plan for it. So I planned for a year before I started my business, uh, partly because I just couldn't get out and it wasn't quite right, but I planned and saved and I didn't know exactly when it would be, but yeah, I would recommend you save up some money because you might be broke for a really long time if you don't do that. And that's not fun. No, Um, no. I think just throwing caution to the wind is not clever, especially not, I mean, unless you come from money or you've saved up already, or you don't care, which is fine. All of those are fine. And I think that there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, like silent judgment of people who do have money or have made money or come from money. And I really think that's bad. Like you don't, you can't make, you can't change who you are. Um, So if you have that luxury and you want to make something, do it. Yeah. Do it. Exactly. You don't need to uh, yeah. I mean, in general, I would say go for it. Yeah. Um, but in the arts, you really are going to have to justify a whole lot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Would you also talk a little bit about, I think that <laughs> I might be a lot like, um, more adamant or, or excitable about things like goals and vision and like the, the kind of like X, Y, Z planning, like break it down into this thing. And I think that when you're saying to me that you're like, I kind of feel like I'm on the other side of that a little bit. I think that's a really good spectrum. And I was wondering if you would talk about that feeling. I don't want to put words in your mouth about how you feel about it, but just like that is a perspective that's not the way that I'm I'm coming to it, you know, where you're also an incredibly successful person. What does that feel like when you don't necessarily um, put like, really intense goals on something in the way that other people might say that, say that phrase? It's an excellent question. And the, the, the reality is I, I don't know how to answer it. All I know is that when I look into the future, I don't see a particular thing that has happened or that exists for me. Yeah. In that sense, my goals are those ethereal things. I'd like to live in abundance. I'd like to live in a you know, culturally diverse place that offers me wonderful opportunities, that kind of thing. I I can make that happen in a way, but I don't have like, I want to have achieved X thing. I did when I was younger, right? Like I want to achieve this job, get this job or have this scholarship or record this thing by this date. Yeah. Um, I mean, I have had that in my business, usually like 
there will be like, you know, it's seasonal something and I have to get something done by a certain time. But I think that we're, it's really foisted on us from every Mm -hmm. angle. We are supposed to have this goal, these goals and this direction and this vision, quote unquote. Some of us do not operate. All I can tell you is some of us do not operate on that level. And to force that language is more stressful. Definitely, definitely. And so I I have never been in any kind of like entrepreneurship conference or anything where people do not just voice this idea that you have a why and that you must have a vision and you've got to have goals or you'll never get there. <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing so hard because I just had a rant the other day where I was like, if one more person asks me about my why before they help me get to like the nuts and bolts about how to do this thing, I'm going to be so upset. <laughs> like, I was like, I don't need that information right now. <laughs> and, and yeah, it does. I think it bothers me partly because I can't explain it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I can tell you that it hasn't changed for me in a very long time. Yeah, And I'm over 40 and I'm not assuming it's gonna, right? Like it's not going to change. I do not resonate with those words. They do not help me. Yeah, I understand they help other people. I'm happy for you. That's great. And I'm not saying I don't understand the thinking behind it. Yeah. But I'm saying those words stress me out and paralyze me. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's what I, have you found any other types of things, especially as you're looking at the, the quote unquote, like what comes next? time in your life that if this side, you know, one side of the spectrum is this is stressing me out, you know, what feels like the opposite side where you're like, well, here's a way that I kind of think about what's next. Maybe it's walking. Like you said, you said, sometimes you just go out. Like if you just walk it, then it's kind of like the tumblers in a vault. They just kind of start to fall into place after a little while. I'm wondering, you know, if that feels like it, I don't know. You have great questions. I love the way you formulate your questions. And um, I would say um, existing, like just going through your days in that time. Like right now, I know I'm in a period where like goals and vision and, and whatever should be a thing. They aren't a thing for me. So what is for me a thing is exploration, curiosity, follow your curiosity a friend of mine said, um, follow the open doors, make the open doors, because from those open doors, maybe will come a bit more clarity for that vision or whatever it is, the word that resonates with you. Um, but for me, it's, you know, I know you love curiosity. Um, but it is, it's, it's about following any open door, right? I knew that localization was a word, let alone an industry. And I spent four and a half years in it. Yeah. Right. That's so interesting. I, I love that. That's definitely something that I feel like I can, that I can hang on to of being on the the side that really likes to kind of put big goals out there and then like kind of break them down and that kind of stuff. My brain gets really fired up by that. And then, but I definitely work with lots of people that feel the same way that you do. So I always try to figure out ways to make that feel less icky and not like, well, it doesn't work this way for everybody. So what are the ways that we're going to start to like coalesce you know, these ideas just by exploring and existing, you know? It's weird that I'm going to make a marriage comparison here, but people, and I'm not married, but I am in a partnership and people have asked me, you know, would you ever get married? And I was like, yeah, if it feels like liberation. Mm -hmm. And I think that 
you have to find the word or the concept or word or the direction that feels like liberation for you when you're looking for this goal, this vision, this, uh, what is it? Intention, right? Yeah. You have to look for that. Those words to me, that pressure of having to find that feels very limiting Mm -hmm. to me. that, That feels like this to me. I want to say, if someone said, what's your open door or what door do you want to walk through? Yep. Where can you find your open field? Like if somebody asked me more open, yep. visually open kind of things, I might be able to go there. I've never thought of that. Literally came now. Yeah. But um, I, the power of the word is so strong. And I think we we are so tied to this language that we have not understood that it can be really limiting. I mean, we we don't talk to people about certain things if they're dealing with depression or they're suicidal or whatever. I'm not saying this is traumatic, but but these words do not work for me. So find other words. Yep. Absolutely. Doesn't mean I don't have a vision that I am less of a business owner or that I have less future any direction. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Well and I that's why I you know wanted to just kind of like keep going with that for a minute because it's always so interesting to me like what are the ways that it just feels kind of I love what you said about feeling liberated like what is what are some of the things that open that up so that it doesn't feel like I'm I'm being forced to operate like other people operate in their business that's not like my business or my you know my path you know and what does feel like my path what does feel like something that resonates for me is always the better question. <laughs> like one instead of saying like we all we all work this way. We, all humans do this thing. No, they don't. No, nope, that's not true. <laughs> so yeah. you you did mention, Kala, that you know, curiosity is one of my one of my big things. I love it so much and why I want to sit here and ask questions all the time to people and learn how how their brains work and what they do in their lives and all that kind of good stuff. So I I am super curious about what you're curious about right now. Well, I'll answer it two ways. So I'm very curious about what my next step is going to be. (laughs) I'm very curious about what doors will open. Yeah. What doors do I not like? What don't I even know is out there for me? Yes. Yeah. I'm also really curious about why mean people exist and Mm. what makes mean people do mean things. Yeah. And, um, the other part of my life that you probably know is political activism, specifically voting activism. Yes. And I've done it for over 20 years, and that's part of where I want to go in my life, maybe. Yeah. And I cannot embody any understanding of why you would want to be mean to people trying to vote, why you would want to be mean to people who are in that, you know, the voter intimidation thing that just came out. But in any way, I just, I don't understand why you want to be mean. And I'm just, I'm not really curious, I guess. "Hmm, How do you stop people being mean? Yeah, there you go. That's a a great question. (laughs) So I know it's kind of global, but I really am. I'm really flummoxed by why you would want to exist in your own body being so mean. Mm -hmm. That is a great question that I'm hoping that we all ponder for ourselves, which is, you know, when we feel, when we feel ourselves experiencing it. And also when we feel ourselves kind of being that, like, where does that come from? And, and what ways can we, can we kind of check that in ourselves? What do I actually need here? That's resulting in this, in this kind of behavior rather than what I, what I probably need is to like, ask for my needs to be met in different ways, (laughs) stuff like that. So I think those are so great. Call it, Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, before 
Before I let you go, I do want to ask, you know, where would you like people to kind of, I don't know, keep in touch with you or kind of stay apprised of what comes next in your life on the interwebs, wherever you want people to kind of check out your goings on? Sure. Uh, you can connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty uh, active there. Um, I'm sure my name will be spelled in the show notes because it's a little weird for me there. Um, my website is five senses tastings.com all written out. Um, and that's also my handle on Instagram and I'll be keeping that alive. So check it, check us out here. Perfect. Perfect. And in, in case somebody is driving and they don't want to look at the show notes right now, will you spell, spell your name out for, for people who are listening? <laughs> It is K-A-L-A-M-A-X-Y-M. Yes. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, Paula, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. I, I hope that we get to get to do a, a you know an in the future episode where I bring you back and we're talking about all of the cool things that you're doing in your next next chapter. We'll we'll have to do like a follow-up to this one. But thank you so much for being a masterclass episode guest. This means the world to me. So thank you. Thank you so much. It means the world to me that you, you know, have kept up with us all these years. And um, yeah, I really appreciate being here. What you do is really important. Thank you for having me.